Well, James chapter 4, verse 13. And Lord, we ask now by the power of your spirit, you would open unto us the revelation of your word to our hearts today. What does your church need to hear? Let us hear it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As you remember in those first 12 verses, the key was humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that he may lift you up. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we looked at that as he said, you take all that you have to spend it upon your pleasures. Looking at the prodigal son who had a very openly rebellion heart, but yet the older son was equally as rebellious, but he was just hiding it in religiosity. His heart was equally not submitted to the will of the father. But then, of course, we got to see the Father's heart in there saying that needs to be us. How he just humbly received his son, how he humbly begged his older son to have his heart in restoring his younger brother. Well, he's going to sort of stay on this point, but just sort of dig deep, sharpen up the sword and poke it even deeper. And he is a prophet. Prophets like to rattle people. They, they, their, their mission is to shake us to the core and to say, Lord, is that me? Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And so James here, this half-brother of our Lord according to the flesh, the leader of the Christian church speaking to all of the Jews uh, scattered abroad, he is now hitting on a very specific attitude. And he says, come now. You who say, and you know who you are, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. James is rebuking them for this arrogant heart that is self-sufficient, not needing to acknowledge God, not wanting to acknowledge God, but wanting without God's help, wisdom, blessing, they can do it themselves. Whatever God or gods are up there, thanks, but no thanks. Keep having your tea, ignore me. I'm doing fine just the way I am. And so tomorrow I plan to accomplish this. I've had a transaction in the morning like this. I got a business deal at lunch like this. I'll deposit my earnings late in the day. In Proverbs 27, 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. In Isaiah 56, 12, you can see again, often these prideful people after the, the day of, of business and patting themselves on the back. Come, one says, I will bring the wine. We will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow we will do will be asked today and much more abundantly. Yeah, we're just on a roll here. We're able to do what we want, when we want, how we want. And uh, it, it's just clearly a prideful and arrogant heart. Now, this isn't saying we're not to plan and, and uh, live our lives the best we can plan to do that. That's, that's God's given that to us as human beings. We need to organize and plan and, 
and be as diligent as we can with money and time and whatever sphere we oversee. And he tells us this in Proverbs 16, verse 1 through 3. The preparations of the heart, what? Belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. And then Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So it's not about him planning or organizing or doing the absolute best he can do diligently with time, with finances, with being organized. He's simply saying each time we realize, assuming <laughs> that this is also the Lord's plan. And, and God can change that. My pastor, Chuck Smith, used to always say, be diligent and, and plan and make a schedule. And when you've done the due diligence, then be open for the Lord to change them. And he would say, blessed are the flexible. They shall not be broken. <laughs> and in verse 14, he goes on to say, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Boy, there's so many verses on this. Job says it's a breath. So take a breath in. You're born. Breathe out. You're dead. That's how long life man seems and appears in that way, doesn't it? David, boy, he, he was getting this. His life was quickly going by and he was blessed and prospering, but he, he felt that he was getting that arrogant and prideful heart. And indeed he did. Remember, he counted the armies to see how strong he was and a plague broke out. But in Psalm 39, verse 4 and through 7, it says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you will have made my days as a hand's breadth and my age as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best is but vapor. Surely every man according, or man walks according, or about like a shadow. Uh, surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Interesting, there's another uh, in Psalm 103, 14. It says, for he himself knows our frame. He, re he is mindful that we are but dust. That's in the New American Translation. I studied for that through my teen years. And I, I, for a while, I, I sort of had that rhema word from God for the congregation, like, guys, wake up. And I, I think it was the years after 911. And I'm like, wake up, guys. Our, our life is just but dust. And there was a new Christian guy, and, and, and he finally came up one day, and he, he's just like, help me understand what is but dust. <laughs> I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about, you know? You keep saying our life is butt dust. <laughs> yeah. 
And I thought, that, that, that is a better, that's probably the exact Hebrew uh, <laughs> translation there. Just great. Whatever it is, that's probably more accurate. But we just read in Psalm 39, verse uh, 5 there, it says, Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. <laughs> Take your choice. But humbly we accept either, either one. We realize this. <laughs> In Psalms 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. David realized, if I am not realizing how frail my life is, if I'm not living today in the understanding of how short life is, I'm going to be making some very foolish calculations and decisions. And of course, what a humble heart that would continually bring. In Psalm 102, 11, my days are like a shadow that lengthens and I wither away like grass. Where there's so many verses on this. Jesus actually told a parable about this arrogant businessman and his heart. You guys might remember that story in Luke 12, verse 16 to 21, where there was a ground of a certain rich man that yielded plentifully. And he thought, here's the problem, within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store up for my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease now, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This guy was thinking, tomorrow will look like today. I have many weeks, months, years left to enjoy all of this. Not the case whatsoever. And in verse 15, he makes it clear. In James 4.15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So the fact is, is God has not guaranteed us any amount of days. We don't know how many days we have on this earth. Every day is a special gift from God, but, but we don't know. And that arrogant, independent heart from God needs to be broken. So we're living today, yes, diligently, hopefully successfully, using all of the education and wisdom and experience we have to do the best job we can, but always humbly realizing, if today were my last day, have I lived it? Seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, that for eternity, all that's added unto me is there. 
and to not, as it says in 1 Timothy 6, trust in the uncertainty of riches. Before 911, we actually, my whole family, we got a chance to do a cross country trip. And uh, my third son, all he remembers in that trip is me saying, I will never do this again. I will never do this again. <laughs> but we, we had other memories, the other kids and I and my wife. But um, we were actually about five weeks, maybe a little less, on the Twin Towers at 8.30 in the morning. And on this particular trip, I had we just had in our hearts, that's not me, but all the kids as well, to, to just pass out tracks. So we had just bundles of tracks. And as we went across the country, we were passing them out. And, but we wanted to get there early to do the Twin Towers because it can get really busy. And we ended up being like the first ones there. And uh, we're greeting all these people and, and handing out tracks. And we take the elevator, it seemed like forever, to the top up there. And it was basically us and a few other people. And we were able to see everything and talk to everybody and go out. And, and, uh, and we came down. And sure enough, you know, there are all these people in these $2,000 suits rushing in to you know, buy and sell and, and to write up contracts and to do all of these things. And I'll tell you, when we were there early in the morning and those Twin Towers were coming down, we were just like, I, I know in myself in the weeks following, just the faces of all those people that we had saw five weeks earlier that would have been for sure up there working at that time. We were actually there at the very time the first plane crashed a few weeks earlier. And you just realize, wow, you just never know what tomorrow's going to bring, do you? Every New Year's Eve, I would teach and, and talk about how we need to, to have that humble approach as we kick on the new year to make our, you know, promises to ourselves so we'll lose weight because in America, you can never be too skinny or too rich. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, we're going to work out and, and all of those things, but also just the reality to ask yourself before you start the new year, this may be my final year. And Lord, if it is, let me live it successfully with that in mind. Well, for 32 years, I said that, and I do not think there was one year that somebody didn't die. Five years ago, my own 21-year-old son died in January 20th after hearing those, that message and those words. And so it's, it's not like some hypothetical that we brought up to scare people or to shake people or to make a point. I, I, can, I can say right now in this room of hundreds of people, and, and I'm not trying to, to be negative, but there's probably somebody in this room, and that might be me, that will not see 2019. And that we need to constantly live in awareness that if the Lord were to come tomorrow or I'm going to go to him, 
yes, I'm buying and I'm selling, I'm being diligent and I'm making money and trying to get enough money for retirement and trying to get the kids best education and I can and all of this. But in the midst of that, did I lose the most important thing? And that is that God has put us here on earth to live for him and his plan and his purpose. And that we need to honor that because it says in Ephesians 2.10 that you are a work of art, a special work of art, a poema, that, that you alone can fulfill what God has on earth. We learned that in the story of Moses, didn't we? I can't even talk well. If you pick 99 out of 100 other guys, they could talk better than I can talk. Yeah, Moses, I, I made your mouth because I didn't want some powerful oratorical speaker declaring my word to Pharaoh. I wanted a guy with a lisp or a stutter or, or I, I wanted him to, to hear the prophecy and the power of God, not the power of your oratory. That was all a part of my plan. And then he proudly says, did I not make the blind, the withered, the halt? We, we learn that, that God has put us here on earth for just a vapor of time. And if we're sick here for a decade, it doesn't matter. We're going to be in heaven, guys. If we only have one leg and limping around, it doesn't matter. We're going to be whole in a fraction of a second. This is just but a bus stop. <laughs> And the bus is soon coming. This isn't home. And to realize that God's made me for this work of art. And in the Philippians 2, he said that we would work out our salvation, not work for salvation, but work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is at work to will and to do for his good pleasure. There needs to be every day that humble awareness of I might have a stroke today and I won't be able to talk tomorrow. There's some little microscopic thing floating around here right now. Nobody breathe. Oh no, <laughs> I just breathed it in. And a year from now I'll have cancer and be dead in two years from now. That, that's, that's reality, isn't it? I mean, I don't think anybody's walking around here feeling bulletproof. I think we, Understand, as David said, Lord, help me to know my frailty. Help me to understand the number of my days that I might walk humbly, that I might walk in wisdom. But then he says in verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. It's that heart of arrogance and pride that is the opposite of the nature of God. So understand, when, when God says something is evil, he's not trying to be a Puritan and say, I'm all holy and that's all evil. He's saying that it is destructive to us. We all have been made in the image of God. And one of the chief attributes of God is his humility. That he is so humble and lowly of heart. And all of us could find rest for our souls in his presence. 
He's a gentle spirit, willing to yield, peaceful. That's who he is. And that's who you are. And so if you said, man, I'm tired of paying these gasoline prices. I figured out that those guys at the motor company are just trying to rip us off. Son, go get the hose. We're just going to start filling our cars up with water. And sure enough, it works for a few miles. <laughs> it, 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 you're going to destroy the engine, right? In the same way, our bodies, our brains, the way we conduct and, and, and have human relations, pride is a killer. Arrogance is destructive. And how do we know? Because it's the opposite of God. It's the opposite of the nature we've been made. The closer we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we're at harmony with God and we're at harmony with one another. The farther we walk away from that, we have broken harmony with God and we start breaking over time harmony with one another. There's a poem called Invictus by William Ernest Hensley. I don't know if you uh, know this, but it's the Latin word for unconquerable or undefeated. And he was an atheist in his time. He would have called himself an agnostic, but he, he, he definitely did not like the concept that, that God was up there and had power over his life. He, he very much thought that was an insult that anybody would have power over his life. And if you have the notes, you can read along here this poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. He's talking about his life <laughs> from the day I'm born till the day I die. It's this black that's always covering me from pole to pole. I think whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. So, Whoever there is out there, uh, I'll give you this. I'm thankful for my arrogant spirit that nobody rules me. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. I've never cried out saying, God help me. Under the bludgeoning of chance, he sees no purpose in God's hand. My head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears, he's questioning whether there is an afterlife or not, looms but the honor of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. So if there is an afterlife, I'm not going to recognize living during this life as if there is an afterlife. And if there is one, you're not going to see me afraid. It matters not how straight the gate. This is right out of scripture. Narrow is the way, straight is the gate that leads to life. I don't care how straight the gate is. How charged with punishment the scroll. The Bible says that those who are not walking in that narrow gate but brought as the road to destruction. How charged the punishments of that scroll, referring to the Bible, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Let me read it again. 
Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the honor of the shade. Excuse me, looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments, the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We see that spirit, don't we? In the Tower of Babel, let us get together. Let us, in rebellion against God, build a tower and, and, and make it clear to God that he has no control over us. And God had to scatter the people by changing the languages. We think of Lucifer. That's his spirit, isn't it? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It's that spirit. And if there's any portion of that spirit, understand it's from the wicked one. <laughs> it's from the pit of hell. It is evil. And it is causing a person to damn themselves to hell, to choose for themselves, to separate themselves from God. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says to the church that was being arrogant towards him as the apostle and the founder of that church, the leader. It says, what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So why are you acting arrogantly towards me and actually one another? None of us has created ourselves. I can make music. I can play basketball. I'm a great basketball player. I have a great mind in business. But you have that musical ability because God has given it to you in creation. You're a great basketball player but only because the, the Lord's given you the strength and the agility. You have a great business mind, but only because God's gifted you with such a brain. But we have no control. The basketball player may one day hear, you'll never walk again. The singer may hear the news, your vocal cords are paralyzed. The businessman may lose his mental capacity in a car accident. He who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. There was a guy in college who, after one of our performances, he had sang a solo, and, and I came up to him, and I said, wow, that's, that's a beautiful solo. Praise the Lord. It was a Christian college, and it was a Christian song. Very operatic, but... And he looked at me with sort of disdain and said, praise God, praise, praise me. I've been working on that song for three years. You know how many hours I put into that? And I just remember cringing. Well, shortly after college, his plans were to go to New York and be on Broadway. And shortly after college, not too far, he got MS. And I remember at our 10th year 
uh, reunion. Actually, it was my wife's. It was the, she was a year before me. I like older women. And, uh, and uh, so he was there in a wheelchair. He had been in this quartet also. And he, he could not take a breath. So he was trying to sing his part without getting a breath, you know, and he had one of those things, a solo, and, and everybody gave him a, a clap, but it, it, was, it was horrendous. And I, I just remember that, just thinking, wow, wow. I, I wonder if he made that connection. I definitely did. And, of course, I didn't say anything, but I, I just thought, Lord, help me, help me. I, I'm, I, you know what, I can't, I can't help anybody else not be arrogant. I can't help anybody else have a humble heart. I, I can't help my wife. I can't help my kids. I can't help my parents. I can't, nobody, you can't do that. All you can do is just get your eyes on Jesus and just say, as for me, Lord, I'm falling at your feet. I realize that every single breath is a gift from you. And the day that breath stops, you have not done me any wrong. Whether that's like my granddaughter that just passed away in March. She had 13 days on this earth. It was 13 days of a gift. Some of the most beautiful flowers, some of the most precious butterflies only last that long. God's not said you've got 100 years or you're being ripped off by God. We, we have no idea how long our life is. But every bit of it, I need to acknowledge God and say, you've given me this day. I am not promised tomorrow. And I don't need tomorrow if that's not your plan anyway. But today, Lord, as I am busy doing and buying and selling and going and fixing and cleaning up and all of these things, Lord, I'm here to live for you. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. In you, Lord, I want to live and move and have my being. I've seen anointed by God bus drivers. I worked in construction and I worked with the guy. And I'm telling you, he was just in the spirit. Every nail he hit was in the spirit. Every time he turned the screwdriver, it was a, he was in the spirit. You don't have to be reading your Bible to be accomplishing great spiritual things. In the midst of the most simple, mundane conversations, God's presence can be powerful. If we have a humble heart, he can lift us up. But if there is any, even tiny little molecules of pride, I beg of you, brother, fall on the rock and be broken unless that rock fall upon you and crush you to powder. Well, the final verse in verse 17 is, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is sin. Get this. Sin is more something that's not there than something that's there. Some would say sin is the absence of good. So if you say, well, the, the sin of commission, of lying, but really the greater sin is omission 
of telling the truth, right? If somebody was on the stand and they were telling a lie, but they also had a truth that could set you free, yes, they're sinning by lying, but isn't the greater sin that they're not speaking the truth? You say, well, the sexual sin, it's, it's, it's immoral. It's a sin of commission. Yes, but isn't the sin of omission even greater? Not being in purity? You're destroying a person rather than building them up? Isn't the greater sin that you could have spoke purity into that situation and caused their eyes to be fixed on Jesus and for you to have a reward and a crown for going through that time of temptation? Let me give you an example to prove this point. You're out in the backyard swimming, and you realize that, oh my goodness, in five minutes, Gilligan Isle is on. I can't miss this episode. They might get saved this week and get off the island. <laughs> Younger people are going, Gilligan, what? Um, and... Um, and so you get all dried off, and, and you're heading into the house. And all of a sudden, you hear this splash behind you. And you look, and there's somehow the little baby next door that barely learned how to walk has gotten through somehow and has fallen in your pool and is drowning. And you're just going, oh, I just got all dried off. Two minutes now to Gilligan Isle. Uh, and you go on in the house and you're watching the TV show and you hear some ambulances coming and guys running back and forth and they finally knock on your door and they say, Sir, do you know a baby just drowned in your pool? Well, yeah, I, I thought that might have happened. What, what do you mean? Well, you got to understand, I didn't push him in there. It wasn't like I got a broom and started dunking him under. I just had to see this episode of Gilligan Isle. And I just got dried off. I didn't want to get wet again. Okay. That person did nothing. But understand, he did nothing when he should have done something. And the fact that he did nothing was evil. Do we understand? The greatest sin is not so much the sin of commission, it's the sin of omission. We see this story when Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh didn't want to cross the Jordan. And they wanted to stay on the other side. And Moses, out of concession, said, you can do this. God says you can do this, but you've got to help all of your brethren conquer the land and get their portion first. And they said, yes, we'll do this. But then the Lord speaks through Moses in Numbers 32, chapter 32, verse 23. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. Years ago, there was a, a pastor that I very much admired. And uh, he was in the 
middle of a building project, doing a lot of it himself, hurt his back, ended up taking some medication. From there, he went on to heroin, and it was a mess. And a very good friend of mine, it was a good friend of his, that met every morning at 7 o'clock for devotions before the day started. I just said, I, I don't understand it. How, how did this happen? And he said, don't you know, Brian? The way it happens to all of us. We started omitting a life of prayer. And then we didn't have a desire for the word. Then we didn't have a heart to sing to the Lord. Then we didn't have the discipline to hear a sermon. And then before we knew it, we were now doing sin. But he said always, sin doesn't start with sinning. It first begins with the omissions of just simply following the Lord and continuing the spiritual disciplines. The fact is, sometimes we feel like to pray, but even if we don't feel like to pray, can we in a humble heart not pray? Believe me, not praying is, is the sign of the most arrogant heart. Do we feel like reading the Bible? No, our, our flesh is sinful. It's never going to help us. Your body's never going to get born again. Your brain, your hands, we're always a body sold under sin and bondage. So our body's never going to aid us in this spiritual walk. We have to always beat our body in subjection, crucify our flesh with its passions and desires, deny ourselves, take up the cross. And as we create that habit, it gets less painful to our flesh because <laughs> our flesh likes habits, good or bad. But we've got to realize the greatest sin is, is not that you didn't pray for that person, but you left the humble life of needing that person, to be in that person of prayer and praying without ceasing. The, the, the real sin is not that you went off and did something, it's that you didn't remember. If I hide God's word in my heart, what happens? I don't sin against him. As I humbly recognize that I can go and buy and sell and do this, but if I take time to be in God's word, it'll be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If I will humbly recognize that God has given every facility I have, the fact that I can talk, see, walk, whatever I can or can't do, it's a gift of God. I'm not guaranteed it for tomorrow. But if I meditate in his word day and night, I will prosper in all that I do with his prosperity. Do you get it, guys? To him who knows what to do, he who's been given much is required much. And we of all people in the entire span of 6,000 years of man's existence on earth, we right now have more light than any Christian, any believer, any person who knows God in all of history. Right? We are required much. And so let's just have that humble, broken heart. And let's pray right now. Lord, we come before you now. And we realize, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. We can buy and sell and go here and go there until 
There is no tomorrow, or until the car crash, or until the cancer comes. But we don't want to wait for them. We want to have a humble heart now, recognizing that all that we have is from your hand. All that we can accomplish in mind or in body is by your gift. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be your name. And we want to recognize that the most important thing in every day is the spiritual impact we have, the prayers we pray, the people we hug and love and speak into their life. Lord, we humbly come now because we realize more than ever that I may not be as arrogant as Satan as he stood in heaven confronting you. But Lord, there is some pride there. There is some lack of humility there. There is some self-sufficiency there. We're in great America where we can always make something happen if we pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. The Lord helps those who help themselves and all those kinds of verses that are so opposite of your nature. Today we just come and just say, Lord, forgive us. I first want to address those here today or those who might hear this message through some of the social media. God is speaking to you right now. I can sense it. God's Holy Spirit is poured out during this message today. We're sensing it here in this room, but I know there may be others as you're driving in the car, wherever you're at, and you're going, I'm not saved. My life isn't submitted. I used to walk with the Lord years ago, but I'm not. I'm not submitted. I'm not humble. I'm not walking in obedience. Then right now, confess your sin. You just did. <laughs> Forgive me, God, for so many sins. But the Bible says just confess your sin, singular. I am a sinner. I am prideful. I am arrogant. I, I have done wicked things on every scale. Forgive me, Lord. Now by faith trust. He's faithful. He's righteous to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why would he pay for all your sins on the cross if he didn't want to forgive you? He paid for your sins for this very moment that he could apply his blood to cleanse you from all your sins and make you as white as snow without blemish, without spot. Secondly, I want to talk to you end-time believers. You're here. Jesus said, watch and pray. These are perilous times. Realize men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. Nothing bad, just busyness. Chokes out and causes the Christian to not be ready to escape all these things. Lord, we come before you. We don't know how deep our pride goes. We don't know how arrogant that root system runs through our body. But Lord, we see it now. We did not identify what a weed that was, what an actual tree of destruction it was. And Lord, we come now and ask you to yank it, pull it. We realize it's going to leave a hole. We realize that the root system is going to leave bleeding and pain. But Lord, we don't care the pain. We don't care the hardship. We don't care what it means. Lord, 
we come before you and ask that we would not leave here with anything but a humble heart as your heart is humble. Forgive us, Lord. Heal us, Lord. And bring us to that place that you can do all that you want without any hindrance of our prideful, arrogant, self-sufficient heart. Self-sufficient heart. In Jesus' name. Oh, by faith. Amen, amen.